Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Balthazar. And aside from me just realizing that my calendar is wrong, we're here to discuss to you and preview the West Virginia Mountaineers matchup against your K-State Wildcats. And let's just get right into it by looking at their 2020 stats. As always, I will be covering the offensive stats. So they were a 6-4 team last year with a 4-4 conference record. They had 1,351 rushing yards at a clip of 3.8 per attempt, 15 rushing touchdowns. They had 2,775 passing yards at a clip of 6.92%, 4 passing interceptions with 16 touchdowns and a completion percentage of 63.1, and a third down percentage of 41.61, 21 sacks allowed, averaging 26.5 points per game. The total of 265 points scored. Luckily, division by 10 is very easy. But (laughs) they were, as you can tell here, they're very much a passing offense, or at least they were last year. Uh, That didn't change. But now you can talk about defensively. Yeah, defensively, they gave up 20.5 points per game for a total of 205 points against them on the season. Pass yards, they gave up 1,596 and 12 touchdowns. They gave up 1,318 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns. Red zone percentage was 60% against them. They also had 11 interceptions as a team with two fumble recoveries, 22 sacks, and a turnover differential of two. Yeah, so defensively they weren't bad. They were actually pretty good. And now we'll look at the people coming back from this 2020 season for this current one. You have Jarrett Daggy, or as my roommate likes to call him, Jarrett Doge, because how else would you think that name is pronounced? He was their leading passer and quarterback. They returned Letty Brown, their leading rusher in nearly every facet. They're returning Winston Wright, their receiving yards leader. Then Akeem Mesador, their defensive lineman, who is their sack leader. Taiki? Taiki. Taiki Smith, a safety who is tied for first with in interceptions of pass defense, as well as... The person he tied with, Alonso Adai, he was a cornerback with Smith being a safety. Who did they lose? Uh, they lost TJ Simmons, a wide receiver. Uh, he was the receiving touchdowns leader, and he was an undrafted free agent to the NFL. They also lost Tony Fields, the second uh, linebacker. He was their leading tackler, and he was drafted. And that's basically it. Yeah, so they, they are, they, they're not quite at the level of Iowa State where they literally lost a backup running back, and that is it. But they still didn't lose a whole, whole lot from this last year. But they're not having the same success, I suppose you would say, as last year with the fact that they're currently at 4-5. and five. But going through their schedule, their first game was at Maryland. They ended up losing that one 24-30. Then they played Long Island University, where we have a high school classmate currently playing baseball. They won against them 60 to nothing. Ouch. Then they played Virginia Tech, who they ended up beating 27 to 21. Then conference play started, where they opened with three straight losses to Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and then Baylor, before they turned it around and beat TCU and Iowa State, both of which were upsets. And then they got schmacked by Okie State. Yeah, just, it's been just 
a tale of two seasons, pretty much, except they also kind of overlap from West Virginia. They're in a very strange spot right now. Uh, like, with the one over Virginia Tech, that's a great one. Uh, but then they lose at Maryland. Uh, they spend their first three um, games of conference play. Uh, they lose a tight game with OU. They lose a tight game with Texas Tech. They get destroyed by Baylor. And then they um, went at TCU, and they a steal game against Iowa State at home. And they get uh, they only score three points against Oklahoma State, which Oklahoma State has emerged as an absolutely excellent defense in the Big 12. Pretty much by far the best defense in terms of efficiency numbers and yeah. like points per drive. Um, all the advanced statistics Oklahoma State leads, and it's not even particularly close, which makes me feel a lot better about us scoring 20 points with Jaron Lewis. So Yeah, I imagine if Will was healthy that entire game, but... Or even Skyler, but that's neither here nor there. So as with the schedule, you heard that they are currently two and four in conference, and then you look at the offensive numbers and uh, you begin to understand. They currently only have a thousand and thirty-nine rushing yards at a clip of three point four per per rush. They have twenty-three hundred and fifty-nine passing yards at a clip of seven point seven, eleven passing touchdowns to eight interceptions. Six t- rushing touchdown, sixteen rushing touchdowns, a third down percentage of thirty nine point two percent, and then defensively you can take those stats. A defensive third down percentage there is thirty four point four three percent, which is pretty excellent. Uh, points per game they're giving up twenty six point six seven, which is a little higher than last year. Uh, they have two hundred forty points for them and two hundred seven points against them. They have a minus three turnover differential. 22 sacks on the season, which equals their count from last year. And their red zone defense scoring percentage is 75%. They're giving up touchdowns only 40% of the time, which is absolutely insane. And then the red zone offensive scoring percentage is 89%, although that is with only 60% on touchdowns. So, yeah, the defense really just bends and does not break when you are able to break them down. But they honestly don't even bend much either because they're pretty good but it depends they 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 bend more than you might think but they're still a very very good defensive unit mm-hmm. and they they just are very stingy in the red zone yeah and then one more thing that i do want to talk about is the uh, really high passing yards number and they and jared Dagey, they definitely have a thing going for him they make it really easy for him in that offense he doesn't have to do a whole lot but with even with that, he still, I believe, leads the Big 12 in interceptions. And it's, I'm not sure how close it is, but it doesn't seem like it. He does have eight interceptions through nine games, which is not particularly great. And then only 11 touchdowns to bounce that out. So K-State's defense has really struggled at forcing turnovers this year. We forced a lot of fumbles. We just haven't been recovering many of them, like an odd amount of fumbles. Like mostly because of Felix. Yeah, mostly because of Felix, and we just aren't getting them. Aren't getting many of them. Uh, this could be the sort of game where maybe we see an interception or two uh, if we can mess with Jared Dagey's rhythm. Yeah. So let's just get right in to the general notes about the team, or as we'll just start calling it, the scouting report, because that's literally no, that's what, what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start offensively with their play calling philosophy. Yes, yeah, surprise, surprise, it's another spread out team. We're in the Big 12. We're like the only non-exclusively like, spread team in the Big 12. 
And even with the new schools, we'll still be the only exclusively yeah. not spread out team. Yep. And even then, like, we still do play, like, a decent amount of spread. It's just not our bread and butter. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. This offense has a lot of RPOs and a lot of quick game stuff, which is why we say that it makes it very easy on Jarrett Daigie. And they really, really enjoy running a little bit of hurry up, but they're not, like, they're not the fastest team we face. That honor still goes to Oki, Oki State, I should say, because they they are borderline NASCAR. But the way I clocked it, it was anywhere from typically if they advanced the ball on a play, it was anywhere from fifteen to twenty seconds between plays. So not slow, but not like turbo mode. But in order for this offense to work, and this is the number one thing to take away. In order for this offense to work, it needs to be efficient, which whenever they, in the games that they have lost, because I've watched, I think, half of their games this year, because I could only find half of their games this year, the losses that they've had have not been because, oh, just like they were utterly dominated. No, it they just couldn't be efficient. Like, they could get a big play or two, but they could not do what they wanted to do. And the number one example that I think of was against Oki State. Because they had a few good plays against Oki State, but they just absolutely could not get out of their own way and be efficient and do what they want to do in that offense. Yeah, but that really comes back to Jarrett Dagey's like, limitations. Uh, he, even while he is statistically leading the Big 12, he is still not a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. There's a reason that uh, West Virginia uh, also, they really rely on just a rhythm to that they really need to get into a rhythm. And uh, like it, it, that goes hand in hand with being efficient. But the Jared Dakey, he, he needs to be on schedule pretty much. Uh, a little bit of hand-holding for Mr. Dakey. But uh, if KSA is able to maybe get in with Jared Daigie and disrupt him a little, that could lead to him making some more mistakes because he is mistake-prone. So, yeah. Which, speaking of, you got Jared Daigie. Yep. Uh, he really struggles with anticipation on his throws. Uh, he's also not particularly fast, but he does have pocket awareness, so he can escape if he needs to. He's sometimes a little bit too quick to go to his check down. <laughs> it's like legitimately... That, that is where a lot of his yards come from because he just doesn't like throwing incompletions. He will look towards one read. All right, it's cover three, which means that the, the like this is for a perfect example. Like, oh, it's cover three. That means that in route will be breaking. Nope, check down. Sorry, <laughs> check down. Unfortunate. That 15-yard play, nah, I'll just make it into a six-yard play, which is also why their yards per attempt is so low. Yeah. 7.7. Yeah, that does make sense because uh, that is pretty low for an offense that throws the ball quite a bit. Uh, they they use they really like running uh, in goal to go in close situations. Uh, Letty Brown is basically Legarrette Blunt <laughs> in, in some ways, and he just, which is unfortunate because he is actually a very good running back. Like mm-hmm. they just don't really use him like he is. Um, also, he. Jared Daigie, for yeah. clarification, not yeah. Letty Brown. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jared Daigie, uh, he does his best. 
uh, when he can turn his brain off and play in the short game. So again, like that's something that we've been hitting home. If West Virginia can make it easy and get Jerry Dagey in a rhythm, they're going to be successful offensively. But so this is going to be a game where it may not be prudent for K-State to play how it normally does, uh, where we are uh, kind of giving up the short stuff uh, in the hopes that we can make a third down stop or the pass rush will get home, which sometimes works. But against West Virginia, I have my doubts that it will be a viable strategy. Um, he does not have an eye for the sticks on third down. Uh, he still looks short. Uh, Jared, he... He, he's just honestly, he's he's kind of a nervous quarterback in that sense. Like, he is going to make the safe play way too often. Like I, Which is weird given that he's thrown eight interceptions. Yeah. Like, he's a walking enigma at the quarterback position just because, I don't know, he, it's things that seem contradictory kind of make sense within context. But it's, I, I don't know, he's just... Like, his stats are so good, but he's just not a great quarterback. I say that he's probably going to light us up for 400 or something. But That's what happened with Brock Purdy. Yep. And Except for Brock Purdy's still not good. Yeah, Brock Purdy's still not good. We just gave him all the easy stuff on earth, and Charlie Kolar exists, and he's uncoverable. So, But his uh, accuracy from outside 10 yards is very hit and miss, which, again, that that's the mo for him he's short game quick routes don't let him think too hard about it like neil brown knows what he has with Jarrett dagey and when you keep him inside that box he's an effective quarterback most of the time but uh if case this is the sort of game where case day can get out to an early multiple score lead uh it's the sort of game that can balloon i think uh because I question Jared Dakey's poise, mm-hmm. and if uh, they get down by a bit, he may start forcing because uh, he is mistake-prone, despite the fact that he also checks down way too often. So there's multiple ways that K-State can get out ahead in this one. Um, also, for how often he throws off bootlegs, he's just kind of bad at it. That's it on that he's one. He's really inaccurate, and it, his entire form goes really bad because the way that you're supposed to throw on the run is kind of like a shortstop to where you still, even if you're ranging to the opposite side, right before you make the throw, you want to at least try and orient your body so that way you can still swing it around and get momentum and point your body to where your throw is going. Um, Which is why you see a lot of quarterbacks when they throw on the run, like Aaron Rodgers, for example. They do the little flick. The flick is just as much momentum as they can get, but it works. He just doesn't do that. He just tries to remain square, so it kind of looks like he's awkwardly shuffling and then throws against his body, which uh, it doesn't work. It does not work. <laughs> it, it do go down. Yeah, it goes down. <laughs> uh, they, he's, he's he's a good game manager, and that's where his like accolades begin and end, essentially. He's Alex Smith. He's, he's Alex Smith, but slower. Yeah. A slower, not as good. <laughs> like no, I'm talking like 49ers Alex Smith. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then other than Jared Day, they do have packages where they sub in uh, their backup quarterback number six. Um, it's basically the same thing Texas Tech did with their backup quarterback, where it's a sub package for a running threat at QB. Uh, not 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 a whole lot special 
to add to that, it's just you know the backup that comes in and runs, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. So now we can talk about Letty Brown. He's probably their best offensive weapon, I would say, though there is actually competition there, surprisingly. Letty Brown, to me, is probably one of the better backs in the Big 12, but he plays for West Virginia, so A, no one really cares, and B, he's criminally underused. He drives through contact like remarkably well, and he requires good form tackling. You either form tackle him, there are three options. You form tackle him, he runs through you, or you gang tackle him. Those are the only three options when it comes to Letty Brown. And he's a very capable like receiver out of the backfield, which, yeah, of course, it's West Virginia, so you kind of expect that. But you'd be surprised. He's a very solid receiver out of the backfield as well. Like He doesn't have many concentration drops, which is the big issue with running backs. And he reliably can either power through corner tackles or make someone miss when they're coming downhill, which is why Jarrett Dagey probably trusts him so much to throw it short on those checkdowns on third down because Letty Brown can make it work. So we're going to have to actually watch Letty Brown out of the backfield, which is not something that we've had to do a whole lot of this year because Jalen Warren wasn't a really big receiving threat. He was more of a running threat. Uh, Sir Roderick Thompson, yeah, I guess he's probably the best example, but even then he's still underused. Uh, Devin Neal, no. Uh, anyway, point being, he's a really good receiving back, but when he's asked to run between the tackles or just not outside, he's the definition of a one-cut back. He's, he's going to find the hole, hit it. He's not going to dance around. He's going to try and find a hole and get there and get through it as soon and as fast as possible and as violently as possible. So he's not he's not a dancer, prancing running back. He is a... The LeGarrett blunt comparison is apt. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, they use him in interesting ways, that's for sure. But uh, I'll move on to the wide receivers here. Uh, first guy we'll cover is number one, Winston Wright Jr., uh, he's a guy that he can line up in the backfield on some plays. He's a really good route runner, and he's very dynamic after he has the ball in his hands. Uh, he's a burner, and he has legit speed that he can use both before and after the catch. Like, I I mean, another West Virginia guy that's like that, Tavon Austin. Like, probably not as dynamic as Tavon Austin because he was unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know, he's in that vein of player, so... And then uh, number 13, Sam James, uh, another receiver. He can climb the ladder, and uh, he can high point a ball. But his... Weird, because he's like 170 pounds. That is very strange. Devontae Smith hours. I... Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam James, his route running is not the best, so that's kind of his downfall. Um, and then number nine, Isaiah Asdale. He's the traditional number one guy they have, uh, while Winston Wright and Sam James, they're going to be your playmakers. Uh, Esdale, he's a solid route runner with good speed and knowledge of how to throttle down, which essentially what we're saying is he can alter his speed and make his routes work better. And then also he can definitely hang on through contact. So, you know, he's, he's a reliable number one guy. Yeah. Uh, it was against the, it was against Texas Tech 
then I saw him hold onto a ball while he was unconscious. So. <laughs> Alright, so he, he has good hands. Yeah, he has very good hands. He can literally catch a ball in his sleep. <laughs> he can literally catch a ball when he's going night-night. <laughs> he came back later that game. Apparently he just got the wind knocked out of him, but also wasn't moving. But, <laughs> so, uh, maybe investigate the West Virginia training staff. But, now we can talk about the tight ends, which... Uh, Come on, I gotta cover the the O line too. Yeah. Oh, I, I love yeah. those guys. I this is my favorite part of the week, just covering the O line. All right. Yeah, you take tight end and O line. Yeah. <laughs> go go crazy, go stupid. But the tight end's role in this offense is more. He switches between flex receiver and wing blocker. And for the first couple of weeks, it was Micah Glofflin or O'Laughlin. I have no idea how it's spelled supposed to be pronounced you walk up to 40 different people all of them will pronounce it differently he's a really surprisingly good inline blocker and knows like exactly when to climb or stick to blocks and the good the thing about him is he's also a pretty solid receiver like is he as good as Kolar no because Kolar is the best tight end in the country I said what I said nobody's disagreeing (laughs) Kolar's really good yeah but he's still Michael Laughlin is very good in his own right, both as, like, a screen target or, like, a flat target because, you know, Jarrett Dagey and throwing the ball more than 10 yards are things that just don't mix very well, and I think he knows that. But for the Okie State game, I think O'Laughlin was hurt because number 85, TJ Banks, was in for most of that game. And he's not O'Laughlin, but he's fine. He's good. I can't complain about him. He's... Like, the equivalency of, like, our Sammy Wheeler. He's fine. He's good. Can't complain about him. Now, <laughs> now we get to tell you my favorite segment of the week, which is talking about the offensive line. And uh, is it as bad as KU's? No. Is it as good as TCU's tackles are? No. But it's still good. Like, it's still not... Okay. Run blocking? No, not very good. Pass blocking, they're a plus unit. Not much of a plus, but they're still good. Starting with their left tackle, Brandon Yates, number 50. He's generally good against straight-up power rushers, but his weakness is around the edge because he oversets himself inside, which is kind of the opposite problem that a KU's tackle had. And he's, like, it's comically, it's really funny watching him try to take like, pick up blitzes and stunts. Because you know how we were complaining about Christian Duffy last week getting coffeehoused into the next life? Um, yeah, no, that's kind of just Yates every single play. If you f- present him with a difficult blocking scenario for his head, it, it's not going to end well for him. Uh, then you got left guard, number 74, James Mitter. Spelled G M I T E R. I'm guessing it's Mitter or Miter. I can't help you. I can't help you. I, I normally I would normally try, but I I've got no I look, idea. I look at the letters in his name and I cannot pronounce them. Yeah. But he's really slow. Like he's slow by offensive line standards. But where he does have his upside is he's a remarkably good anchor and good pass and has like good hand placement and pass protection which 
Given what West Virginia wants to do as an offense, yeah, I'd probably go with a pass-blocking guard anyway. Then you have the center, number 54, Zach Frazier. He shows a lot of effort. He's very much an effort player, but that's kind of his best trait in run blocking is that he's trying, which I guess is more than I can say for like the right guard of KU, but he doesn't have the same like know-how that the center of KU does to just get beat in the right direction. Um, but he does seem to have good awareness in pass protection. So he's not, he's like the anti-left tackle to where the left tackle has a lot of physical talent, but is not very heady. He's like the anti-left tackle. Then you have the right guard, Doug Nestor, who's a good climber up to the linebackers and a great finisher once he gets there. But the problem is he tends to leave for those positions a bit early and he's not a very good puller, which they ask their guards to pull like once a game. So whoopee, I guess. <laughs> then their right tackle, which is Wyatt. Oh, no. I'd say Millum. Millum? Milum? Millum? It's not as bad as Miter. I don't know why I was complaining. But the right tackle, he's not the quickest feat, but it's decent enough to get his job done. And if given outside help, he's winning the rep. He's not giving up the inside ever. His biggest weakness is a blocker is that outside without help. So basically, if you want to take advantage of the tackles, is just have the rushers line up as like wide nines or eights and just try to take the edge because you will win more often than you will lose. Well, I hope that we do that. Take the outside. Because, I mean, that just sounds like the easy path to victory here like i get that felix NUDK likes the challenge uh like i know that like he has been quoted as saying that he actually likes being like double teamed on the on the offensive line because it makes him like fight even harder and like he sees it as like a challenge to overcome and he's actually remarkably great at overcoming double teams mm -hmm. so like chipping's a different story but like like just a straight up double team he just honestly doesn't have much of a problem with it he has gotten a like, ludicrous amount of sacks off of double teams. Yeah. So, it's going to be interesting to see uh, West Virginia's offensive line against our defensive line, especially uh, Boom Massey's going to be in even better health. Uh, Felix is Felix and existing and being himself. Timmy is Timmy. Uh, Timmy's Timmy. Uh, Matlick has been improving. And uh, Huggins is also a person that exists. So, there's... Pickle as well. Mm -hmm. And so, there's a lot of options for... Uh, on the K-State defensive line, but West Virginia's offensive line is not a bad unit at all. Mm -hmm. So they're not the best unit, and they're not great, but they're good. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, and you can, since I took so long, you can cover uh, their defensive scheming and defensive line. Sweet. Defensively, they're going to be a lot more of a hybrid team than we faced pretty much all year, and they mix in a little bit of dime. Um, number 10, Jared Bartlett. Uh, he's a true hybrid player. He can play with his hand down in the dirt or turf in our case, and he can also play stand-up. Um, the West Virginia scheme, this is called the bandit defender. Uh, it, it just means he's the true hybrid guy. Think about Patriots. The Patriots defenses, think about them. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that's, that is Jared Bartlett. Uh, he also even will play off the ball. Um... And on the back end, they play the one and a half high safety sort of thing. Either that or 
they will literally just send the slot defender into a different dimension. I all the way out into outer space. Yeah. <laughs> literally off the screen. Playing from Pluto. Yeah. Like, it's something that's been getting more common because defensive coordinators, uh, they know their players like playing downhill as opposed to uh, laterally. And uh, so that, that's just a scheme. So they could get their uh, slot corner of their nickel. Uh, just to play a bit more downhill, which I get. It's also just kind of funny, <laughs> like because you'll you'll see like the slot corner, like the the slot receiver, and you're just like, well, who's covering them? And then you legitimately have to move your head to find them on like a TV screen. You have to move your head to find where the defender is. Yeah, they're that far away. Um, and then uh, the strong safety, uh, they typically play closer to the box, but they still play a little bit back. Also, they are very conservative with their coverage calls. They play a lot of quarters, a lot of cover three, a lot of cover six. So they are kind of similar to K-State in this regard. They don't want to give up the big-time play. So they're gonna, their coverage calls are not going to be the most aggressive in the world. They'll wait for you to make a, a mistake as opposed to try and force something. Yeah. So, Which is becoming, it seems at least, a little bit more common. There aren't as many aggressive defenses in college anymore just because offenses are getting so good that it doesn't it just doesn't pay to be aggressive with coverage as much as it used to unless you're like LSU and you're just a defensive back factory. Yeah. Or Ohio State. DBU. Yep. Um, their blitzing schemes, they leave a lot to be desired creatively, but they're solidly effective. Uh, they're going to send at least four or five pass rushers a play. That's about their typical number. Um, but defensively, uh, it seems like they're pretty solid at about everything. But one thing that can open up the game for K-State is motion kind of screws with them a little bit. They don't quite defend it perfectly at all. Uh, that's why Tech was able to uh, play so well against them was with the, the motion that they used. So... That's a potential option for K-State to uh, maybe open up some running lanes and figure a few things out with the uh, patented Cade Warner motion. <laughs> or the <laughs> Landry, Landry Weber, Weber jet, jet sweep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got D-line as well. All right. Um, the defensive line is definitely their best defensive unit, which isn't because their linebackers and defensive backs are bad. Quite the opposite. It's just because the defensive line is really good. So... They rotate pretty well at the defensive line, but their headliners are going to be number 55, Jordan Jefferson, and number 55, Dante Stills. Um, however, number 90, Akeem Mesador and Jordan Jefferson, as previously mentioned, they will get a pretty good interior push if left on their own. Um, Jefferson will be a nose tackle, and you have Mesador as a five-tech. Um, and then also Mesador, he has some pretty solid pass rush moves is ice pick spin move off of stunts that's going to be his best and ace on how much you love the ice pick nate matlick <laughs> nate matlick and uh daniel hunter or nate matlick is like surprisingly good at it but like, he just doesn't do it which makes me sad because it's so effective but yeah if moral of the story if i see a defender doing an ice pick spin move i immediately start salivating so and then number 55 dante stills it's great hand technique, and he also sheds blocks really well. Uh, he shows ability to be a threat on the edge, lined up at a 5 or a 6. It's very hard to do that because 
you have to give up a lot of leverage to the outside by virtue of being pretty much head up with the offensive tackle. He's probably their best defensive lineman, Dante Stills, although it is kind of close with Jordan Jefferson. Um, and then you also have number 12, uh, Taj Alston. Uh, he you will occasionally come in, and he. the only note that we have on him is that he always looks like he's offsides, but he's not. Yeah. Always. Or the very least, it never gets called. But he always looks offsides. Yeah. So. And a note about Stills is he was a second-team preseason APL American. And uh, I understand why. <laughs> he, he's pretty good. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, our offensive line match up with their uh, defensive line and pass rush and maybe how we scheme around some of our uh, pass protection shortfalls. And. See where we go from there. Uh, is now a good or bad time to tell you that the majority of their pass rush comes from interior? Um, there's never a good time to tell <laughs> me that because that really scares me. So well, we'll go into that yeah, in stories yeah. for the and uh, we'll we'll split DBs in half. So we'll do linebackers for I'll do linebackers and then we'll split DBs in half. Fair. Okay. Cool. So <clears throat> with their linebacker group. The two words that come to my mind first are motor and speed because, man, they play fast and they play hard. It's honestly it's honestly kind of like watching Wyatt Hubert play off-ball linebacker, but they might be faster <laughs> and maybe a bit more, like, sound, but technically, but that's neither here nor there. These guys are typically used for tackling or mop-up duty in pass rushing. Basically meaning they're playing QB spy or like a gap protect in terms of pass rushing. Uh, number seven, Josh Chandler Samello is a high motor player who's really, really solid form tackler. Like he's remarkable in that sense. And he knows how to manipulate and shed blocks as well. He's just your traditional like really good middle linebacker. It, especially if he was a 1980s linebacker, he'd probably be a first-round pick, but he's not asked to cover very much. No one in this linebacker room is asked to cover very much because the play calls themselves get them like knocked out of most outside runs and like uh, zone coverage responsibilities. And most of the time, they are playing quarters. So if they are playing zone coverage, it is like the most arbitrary I am in your way zone coverage than you could see. Which is not bad, but it, it doesn't necessarily do. getting in someone's way does not equate good coverage in zone. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, solid linebacker core all around. Not a ton to say about them, but you know they're they're alright. Yeah. And we'll split the DBs after uh, do you want to do before or after Nick Troy fortune? <laughs> I'll take Nick Troy and everything after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then, all right, defensive backs, number four, Alonzo Adai at safety. He's really twitchy. He's going to be a read and react type of player. Also, if he hits a receiver, it's going to be a drop. It doesn't matter who it is, even Landry. Sorry. Because so. you might be unconscious. Like, you, you might just not be awake after he hits you. And then that's not me saying he's a someone who hits dirty. No, he just hits really hard. Yep. And then uh, basically the entire secondary is asked to play downhill, which that 
that checks out, especially with their slot uh, playing in outer space. So <laughs> they, they like playing downhill. They're going to give up the underneath stuff, but they're going to make you pay for it because uh, they will hit you and they'll hit you hard. They're just a very well-coached and aware unit. Yeah. That being said, they do have some weaknesses. Their their weakest person on the defensive back end is probably number 11, Nick Troy Fortune, which, amazing name. Honestly, all Big 12 name. But he's just... He, he has a lot of issues in coverage. And it's not even necessary that, that he's lost. He's just a little, like... A second and a half slow on getting to in position and that kind of hurts him really bad a lot of times especially in this defense where everyone needs to be in position as soon as possible ironically or maybe not ironically the weakest part of their coverage is where the slot corner is and I'm talking even whenever they don't have the slot corner playing in literally like they're playing in West Virginia, he's playing in Orange County, California. It's the slot area is just a very iffy area for them. And it's not even really the corner's fault because the corner is asked to step up, like almost like what Reggie Stubblefield does, but I almost guarantee he's not coached to do, to where he's like he just steps up and tries to get into a passing lane, but it leaves the area behind him really wide open. Which, by the way, I'm really surprised no one has taken advantage of that yet. Because it's like Reggie's one glaring weakness. But maybe Reggie's just built different and he just shuts it down anyway. But, yeah, it's overall the the, uh, the intermediate area of the field, specifically from the slot, is where they're, like, they're downright abysmal at covering the intermediate part of the field. So, like, 10 to 20 yards is where K-State's offense would want to operate. Because between their deep zones and their short zones, there's always room in the intermediate part of the field. The problem is hanging on to the ball, because once you get it there, you have half a second to brace yourself. Because you're going to get hit. But yeah, that's pretty much their notes on the defensive backs. Now let's talk about the stories going into this game. And... uh the first one, it's uh, it's it's going to be the story of the game, honestly. How does K-State's interior O-line fare against the West Virginia interior defensive line? I'm not optimistic, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't have much faith in Noah Johnson to be an effective pass blocker, especially when a lot of their rush is going to be interior. Um, ben Adler is not inept, but he's not the best pass blocker by any stretch of the imagination. Rebus is an all right pass blocker. Like he's definitely among the interiors, he's by far the best pass blocker. So if there's anybody that gives them a chance on the inside, it's going to be Josh Rebus. But even then, uh, West Virginia just has so many weapons in the interior. Uh, I'm, I'm not super confident in the ability of our interior offensive line to hold back West Virginia's interior defensive line for a majority of this game. But who knows, maybe they'll surprise me, but it's the weakest part of our offensive line going up against the strongest part of West Virginia's strongest unit. So that it's definitely going to be the story to watch if nothing else. So 
And here's honestly what I would do is so right now our off our interior offensive line is Josh Rebus, Noah Johnson, and Ben Adler. Honestly, what I would do is we saw KT at tackle last week. He wasn't that bad. I would sub out Adler for BB, or either that or kick Rebus to the other side, to just have BB be that force on the interior, that pass-blocking force on the interior. Because their edge-rushing group is not atrocious. Don't misunderstand me. They're not bad. There's not a part of this team on defense that is bad. Their defense is what keeps them in the game. Unfortunately, their offense let the lets the defense down just about as bad as the auto industry let down Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really bad. So that's why they give up points. Not because they're bad, but because they're put in really bad situations. But I think that KT, if asked, could play left tackle this game and be fine because we need BB to be on the interior to make sure that Skyler doesn't die and Deuce isn't met in the backfield every single play. Yeah, I think that might be the way to go about it. I'm not sure if they'll do it, but it's one of the very few uh, answers, I would say, to this uh, pretty sizable problem. So I I wouldn't hate them putting KT at left tackle just like to allow it and I'll just like have KT anchor the inside and push people outside like Skyler can step up he's shown that he can do that that and if we have a interior O-line made up of Josh Rivas, Cooper Beebe and Noah Johnson I can work with that like like that's something that we can survive off of like there's going to be pressure given up in the middle sometimes but it's it's workable like, like we can make that work and maybe even they have some blocking schemes figured out for the lineup as it is. Maybe we're going to see a lot more Hadley Panzer this week than we have been. Maybe he even starts over Adler this week. Um, but I don't know. There's not a ton of easy answers for this problem, at least as far as we can see. But yeah. Yeah. And the West Virginia offense is pretty bad. Right. Uh, I'm letting the defense down. Yeah. And we're back. Sorry. We had to. Uh... Someone came to fix my door because my door has been broken. Don't ask how, don't ask why. I don't know the answer to either. But we also just saw Rylan Griffin commit to uh, to Bama, so. <laughs> I'm sad now. Yeah, it's okay. Maybe the rest of the episode will give us something bright to look forward to. Hint, hint. But the next story to look at going into this game is can K-State contain the short game and force Daggy to make difficult throws? And... I am of the opinion that while it will take a bit of a schematic shift, I think that Echo, like a combination of Echo, Stubby, and Brents are more than capable of containing their wide receivers, especially considering how two of them are more of your playmaker types that are just kind of shifty, but not necessarily the greatest overall receivers. Um, Esdale on Esdale can be covered by either Brents or Echo, which is I honestly expect them to rotate a lot. And Gardner and T can probably cover the other two just fine. We haven't seen much of Gardner this year, but what we have seen of him, he's been really solid. Yeah, he's but, been hurt uh, for quite some time, but he's now getting healthy. So uh, hopefully, we're seeing a bit more of him now, especially since uh, Amaris Brown transferred. So. Uh, once again, cornerback depth is hurting just a little bit, but we're too deep there right now. Yeah. 
But yeah, I actually it it will depend on how married Klanderman is to the current scheme. And considering how he has played he has asked a little bit of a bump and run, like press man coverage a little bit, especially during KU with Echo, where Echo was thrown at in man coverage and it went about as well as you'd expect. That happened it, twice. It did, yeah. And the coverage was like very good. It what it was so good that KU fans were like thinking it was pass interference. It was actually just excellent good coverage. coverage. Yeah. Like there there's nothing else to say other than it was just really good coverage. So and also Echo was really good uh, defending a trick play mm-hmm. uh, in that game as well. One one per week. Yeah, he's good for just deleting a trick play once a week. But I think it's possible. We can contain the short game. It's kind of the I'll believe it when I see it because that's kind of been one of the big weaknesses of our defense this year, which granted it's by design. Uh, we, we're, we're giving up the short stuff uh, to prevent the uh, big plays. But I, I, I don't know. I I think that we can do it. I'm not a huge believer in Daigie. So if we can get some decent pressure, I think that solid coverage will be enough because he's uh, Daigie's just not a great quarterback he's not particularly composed so if we can put him under duress uh, we can maybe see a few interceptions this game yeah. so. and I cover the first two so you can cover the next two yeah. uh, so how is K-State going to try and take advantage of West Virginia's conservative defensive scheme given that recently we start running like an RPO like once or twice a game Mess apparently heard me screaming from the rafters please run an RPO but We've also been running a few bubble screens, and those are things that we could take advantage of, especially if the person getting the ball, I, in this case, I'm assuming it'd be Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks getting the ball creates a really bad angle to where he can't get popped. So if he literally hides behind the blocking receiver on the bubble screen and just forces the safety to come down and work through that, you're basically just getting double the blocks for the same price. So that's the first way I take advantage of it is utilize screen passes. But another way is I just really focus on the fact that Deuce Vaughn is a really good receiving threat and work a lot of ways to get him open and get Malik open in the short game as well. Yeah, I think that that would be doable. Um, I think uh, we've been opening games a lot with bubble screens to Phillip Brooks recently, so... Uh, at least it feels like it. Like I believe we opened up TCU uh, with with that as well. So uh, we we've been liking the Philip Brooks bubble screen as of late. So I, I I'd imagine we'll see more of that, and hopefully we'll see a little bit of RPO because uh, we we've been seeing it added as a bit of a wrinkle as of late. Um, but we can move on from that into uh, is K State going to be able to break through the very stout red zone defense of West Virginia? Uh, this is a day where if we get to the red, we honestly, this this is why West Virginia's defense scares me so much, because the they defend the big play really well, which you'd think would be their biggest weakness, but then they just lock it down in the red zone, so it's not even like, in order to score against them, technically the most efficient way to do so is to get the big play, but they're not going to let you have the big play. So you have to just rely on what you can do in the red zone. This is a day where I think we score on all of our red zone possessions, 
but we don't get touchdowns on all of our red zone possessions. And it's also the only time, and I do mean the only time, where if it's like fourth and four on the 15-yard line, I want the field goal more than I want us to go for it. This is the only time I have and will say this this year, just because of how stingy they are in the red zone. Yeah, uh, the, the red zone defense is really concerning to me. Uh, the only thing that gives me hope is that we are one of the most effective red zone offenses of the last few years since Kleiman got here. I believe it's uh, like 94% uh, scoring in the red zone since Kleiman got here. So if anything is going to give me hope uh, that we can be effective against West Virginia in the red zone, that's going to be that. So but we'll see. Then another big story is can Kleiman finally get the monkey off his back of Oh, he's never like he's never beat like X amount of school. He's never beat Baylor, hasn't beat West Virginia, hasn't beat Texas. Can he just knock one of those out? Because it's been two years. I don't think it's I don't think it's time to really call like those connections yet. It's been two years. Yeah, yeah, the sample size is a little bit too small to start drawing conclusions about his ability to beat certain teams. But I don't know. I, I do think that of the remaining three games, West Virginia is probably by far the, at least at this juncture, the uh, best matchup for K-State. Although Texas continues to absolutely implode. Uh, and no one is there to comfort them. Yeah, yeah. If Texas continues to implode the way that they are, that may end up being a better matchup. Because like their offense is good, but wow, that defense is like not very good at all. So we that, that remains to be seen. But... I know we can talk about that a little bit more when we get to score projections. Yeah. And finally, K-State's secondary needs to have a good day tackling, will they? Um, honestly, I think so. I think that the secondary tackling has been improving anyways. Uh, we did have that rough stretch of tackling in the secondary, but I really do think that uh, we'll be effective secondary tackling echo has been surprisingly good at open field tackles uh julius has been okay um at least he hasn't been noticeably awful and then rusty east has been a very good tackler as of late um and then jerron has been getting better tj is the only big question mark there even ross has been all right he's not great but he's ross boss yeah the ross boss has been okay uh but i don't know i think that the secondary can have a good day tackling. Uh, I think it's more likely they do than don't, but that doesn't mean it's unlikely that they could have a bad day. So. Yeah, because that's that's why Iowa State lost more than anything else, was that their secondary tackling was kind of really bad. And they let the playmakers beat them. They didn't get beat because of their better pure receivers. They got beat because the playmakers got to them. And that's the number one part of West Virginia's offense that scares me. On defense, it's red zone. On offense, it's the fact that they don't have your traditional, like, oh, this is your X, your Z receiver. No, they have an X receiver, Esdale, and then playmakers. That's it. And that's somehow more concerning. Yeah. Uh, so it remains to be seen about the tackling, because Iowa State, that is an interesting case study. 
about how they did pretty much lose because their secondary is kind of terrible at tackling, but uh, it remains to be seen how the KSU Cats will fare. Uh, I think they'll do all right. Uh, I'm not really sure who to worry about most. Maybe it's Letty Brown or uh, Winston Wright, but that... I don't know. Maybe it's misplaced faith, but I I think that it's possible. Yeah. So So now let's get into the projected offensive and defensive MVPs. For me, I honestly was just tempted to put slot receiver, but I'll I'll give specifics because I think it's going to be Phillip Brooks or Cade Warner. If you put a gun to my head and ask me which one, I would honestly probably say Cade because I don't know what Phillip... Brooks's health is like because he was only really back there on punt returns last week which granted it's KU but gun to my head Cade Warner because he has that potential to be that slot receiver which is their weakest area of coverage and if we're going to want to hit them in the intermediate part of the field Cade Warner like I said last week is our best intermediate route runner and it's not even because everyone else is bad okay that's just kind of a byproduct but he's really good at it yeah, I went with Skyler, which is kind of the easy answer, but I couldn't pick a receiver to go with because in the recent weeks, we've just been spreading the ball around so much, yeah, and I also don't think it'll be Deuce. It could be. Uh, he may continue his uh, reign of dominance uh, unexpectedly, but I, I think it'll be Skyler because there's just going to be so many mouths to feed in the receiver room and the tight end room uh, and Deuce as well. So I think that uh, it's just going to end up being Skyler. Uh, he needs to have another one of his great performances like he's been having recently because Skyler's just been on fire uh, the last few games. So doing exactly what he needs to, his completion, center, his completion percentage is through the roof. So uh, Skyler's the easy answer. So I'm going to roll with him. Yeah. And on defense, I think the best chance that we have of containing their RPO and playmaking type offense is to make sure the playmakers don't get the ball to begin with. And I think that begins and ends with the hash marks at the field. And I think Reggie Stubblefield will be the person playing the hash marks. So it'll be up to him. So I think he does it and that makes him the MVP. I went with Echo Island uh, just because in my mind, I, I I feel like K-State, uh, Echo is due for a pick. Is just like, I, I have no other logic or other than Echo is due because Echo has been playing cor- the cornerback position at a borderline elite level for a year now and has yet to get an interception. He technically had one against TCU, but it called back because of some stupid, like, roughing the passer penalty. Uh, so Echo, he's due for a pick. He's our best corner against uh, the statistically best passing offense in the conference. So, Echo, he's either going to get a pick or get some PBUs and generally have a good impact on the game. Or they're just not going to throw to him and he's just going to delete half the field again. Yeah, it's very sad that he's so good that he just doesn't get coverage. Like, although he does cover, he does get good coverage, but he doesn't get coverage in the media or anything because he's just so good Lockdown. he doesn't get any statistics because he's he's impossible to throw at unless you want an automatic pass breakup so it's very unfortunate 
Yeah. So now let's get into the score projections. We have won every game that I have conscientiously objected from giving a score prediction. Knowing me, I just jinxed it, but I'm still conscientiously objecting, but we do win. I think we won as well. Um, this is ultimately going to become a slugfest, I think, to a certain degree, at least for modern college offensive standards. I think it's going to be Cats 31-27. Uh, K-State has just been hitting the like low to mid-30s as their point range for quite a while now. Like Even against KU, we weren't able to get more than 35, but our offense performed very, very well. So I, I'm thinking that it's going to be not low scoring, but not particularly high scoring. Uh, each team scores on five drives, makes in a few punts, except I think West Virginia is going to have one more field goal. I think K-State's able to hold. And Kleiman is finally able to defeat Neil Brown and prove himself as the better hire because Neil Brown, uh, it ain't looking good right now. His recruiting's been good, but he, West Virginia is getting worse, arguably. So, I don't know, remains to be seen with the Neil Brown situation. But it may not be long before Chris Kleiman is the only coach left standing from the 2019 hiring cycle from the Big 12. So, yeah. So, if you start complaining about Kleiman, just know anyone that we would have gotten would have been worse. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I could have gotten Seth Luttrell. Could have gotten Matt Wells. <laughs> so, I could have had Neil Brown. And I would say Neil Brown would, at best, be comparable to Kleiman yeah. in the job that he's done. I don't think he would be any better. I think, I think no one on the foundation, oops, we just named the place that we're talking about. I think everyone on the foundation would is going to complain no matter who it is if it's not Brent Venables, but it's yeah. neither here nor there. We're I mean, not, I mean, I'd like it to be Brent as well. We can't afford him. We can't He's too expensive. Him. He makes more than Kleiman, and he only controls one side of the ball. So uh, we're going to need Mr. Carlisle to step up and take one for the team. <laughs> Again. And establish the Carlisle family K-State head football coach. So Yeah. But anyway, that wraps up everything that we really had to say about the West Virginia game. If you want to contact the Aggieville Alley Cats, which is us, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in Cats. If you want to contact on a, on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthasar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show in a more financial sense, you can give us a sponsorship, or you can look to our official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you have such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats, but most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.